Exodus chapter 3, verses 10 to 17. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I will promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. Good morning again. My name's Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm glad that you're here to worship with us. I'm with Charles. I just want to welcome you. We are preaching through the book of Exodus, second book in the Bible. And this is happening, this conversation between the Lord and Moses at the famous burning bush. And so we're jumping right here in, in that story. And here in a minute, I'll explain how God tells Moses God's name like his personal name, like my name is Jeff, or like your name is your name. But first, let's talk a little bit about names. So William Shakespeare, everyone probably still knows that name, but 500 years ago he famously wrote, What's in a Name? That's from a play called Romeo and Juliet. And it's Juliet who says, What's in a Name? If a rose were known by any other name, it would still smell so sweet. And Juliet is saying, there's not much in a name. If you're familiar with the rest of that play, Juliet is wrong, right? Dead wrong. (laughs) That there's actually a lot in a name. That it's a big deal that Juliet's last name stands in great opposition against Romeo's last name. No, we, we, we value names a lot. Even in America, in the melting pot, you look up your ancestry of your family's last name, your genealogy of your last name. Or think about when we name our kids. We don't name our girls Jezebel. We don't name our boys Judas. Adolf will never top the name list of the boys' most popular names anymore. We use phrases like, well, don't do that or your name will be mud. You know where that comes from? 
Dr. Mudd, true story, M-U-D-D. Dr. Mudd made the poor career decision to attend to one John Wilkes Booth just after Booth shot President Lincoln. Bad career move for Dr. Mudd. We also use phrases like, I am going to make a good name for myself. Names matter. Jason Dorsey, our former lead pastor, had come across a phrase that he would use from time to time to talk about how names represent a distillation of our essence, of kind of who we are. So if he was talking about me, he would say, my Jeffness. Or if he was talking about Ben, he would say, my Benness. And I think this story is going to show us some things about God's Godness. So one last thing by way of introduction, another Jason Dorsey throwback. I have a J.R.R. Tolkien quote from the Lord of the Rings. So get ready. Treebeard. Treebeard, you ask, who is Treebeard? Treebeard is an ent. What's an ent? An ent is a talking tree in Middle Earth. So Treebeard has a name, and it's not actually Treebeard. So Treebeard is sitting with a couple of hobbits, Mary and Pippin, and Mary and Pippin say, hey, what's your name, you talking tree? And Treebeard says, ah, if I were going to tell you my name, it would take way too long. It would take me days to tell you my name in human tongue. So you can call me Treebeard. And then Treebeard says this, my name is growing all the time, and I've lived a long, long time. So my name is like a story. Real names tell you the story of the things that they belong to. So you might ask, am I making too big, too big a deal of names? I don't think so. I think that your name carries a lot, that you carry in your name all of your glory, all of your goodness, all of your shame, all of your embarrassment, I carry in my name all of my story. Names are important. Juliet was wrong. So let's pray and then we'll look at this scripture and see what we learn about Moses and about God and God's name. Please pray with me. Lord, we do pray that your spirit would help us to grow in our understanding of who we are and who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's two questions in this story. Two questions. Moses asks, God, who am I? And God, who are you? Who am I and who are you? And actually, both those questions, they come with a challenge in the text. So let's look at the first question. Moses asks, who am I? And here's the challenge. If you want to know more about who you are, then you will need to learn more about who God is. And these two questions, they interplay. But if you want to know more about your name, you will need to learn more about God's. So read with me verses 10 and 11. The Lord says to Moses, Come, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses says to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? 
So what's Moses saying? We kind of fill it out a little bit. That Moses is saying, I killed a man. I shot a man in Reno. And I, or no, no, sorry. Moses is saying, I committed a crime. And I fled from Egypt. I'm just a shepherd, God. And I do think that we can relate actually pretty well with this. Maybe we've not committed murder. But each and every one of us have done plenty of wrong things. Each of us have probably left even more good things left undone. Right? So the way the thought process goes is, I did these wrong things and I'm damaged goods and God, you can't do with me what you think you can do with me. And then there's actually another aspect to Moses' resistance. As chapter 3 and 4 unfold, we see that Moses actually just kind of plainly doesn't want to go. It's like he's saying, God, that was 40 years ago, and I am making my own name now here in Midian. I got a family. I got a job. I even got a priest. Don't mess with my good life. And so I think that we can relate here as well, that we often don't want to take on the cost of following where God calls us. That God will call us into something that we can't do without him. And pull us up out of our self-satisfaction. Okay, so how does God respond? Was God's answer to Moses' question of who am I, God? So read with, me, read with me what Moses says in verse 12. God said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So catch this, God is answering Moses and saying, Moses, you are the one with whom I am. Moses, you are the one to whom I will give a sign. Moses, you are the one that I have sent. Moses, you are the one that when, not if, but when, you shall serve me on this mountain. Now, you need to know something about Moses' name. It's earlier in the story. Moses' name sounds like the Hebrew for to draw out. Right? So Pharaoh's daughter drew Moses up out of the water, and God is saying to Moses, I'm going to use you now, Moses, to draw my people up out of slavery, and I will be with you. Right? So it's the interplay of the two questions. God is saying... I will tell you about who you are by telling you about who I am. You are the one who has what you need because you have me. God is changing Moses' self-understanding right before Moses' eyes. You will no longer be a shepherd in Midian. You will now be my messenger prophet in Egypt. So let's apply that. Why does that matter for you 
for me? Well, two things. Number one, let God's voice declare unto you who you are. I really like the Enneagram, and I really like love languages, and I really like Myers-Briggs and personality tests and the DISC and the 360 DISC profile and the strength finders. Those are so popular because we want to know who we are. But in the midst of all of that, do not forget, do not neglect God's declaration unto you of who you are. And do not forget to find out more about God as you try to learn about who you are. Otherwise, you will set your sights too low on who you are. Number two, follow God into the things that he calls you to do that you can't do without him. That if you are self-satisfied, perhaps God is calling you to do something beyond yourself where you cannot do it by yourself. Don't get too comfortable in Midian. Like Treebeard says, let your name grow, grow into more, into things that you can only do with God. Okay, this is now leads us to our second question. Who is this God? First question, who am I? Second question, who's God? And we'll read through it in just a minute, but I want you to see again, there's a challenge here that we're going to see that God defines God, that we don't define God. And I'm even speaking like of Christians, that ultimately Christians don't define God. God reveals who God is. God defines who we are. God defines who he is. This hits on our pride. At least it hits on mine. And I think it hits on yours. So Moses says, what's your name? Who are you? So read with me verses 13 and 14. So Moses says to God, If I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What's his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And God said, Say this to the people. Of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So, looking at your folder there, I do want you to note you may have already noticed there's a lot of capital letters there. What's going on with that? And I'm going to tell you in a minute. But first, we want to look just at what God says about Himself I am who I am. How does that phrase hit you? It's a pretty cryptic phrase, it does reveal. And I'll tell you kind of what people have thought through of what this means. But it does keep quite a bit concealed, does it not? So it's kind of like a diamond. And there's many different faces to it or facets. One is that God is unchangeable. He is not becoming something more. Now you and I, we change. Sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. I mean, often we are becoming something better. God is not becoming something better. God's eternal. He didn't begin somewhere like you did, like I did. 
I think this is geometry. God is a line. God is not a ray. If it's not geometry, I will rely on one of you to come and tell me after service that that's actually not geometry. God has no beginning. God has no end. God is self-existent. He does not need any part of the universe that he made in order to be himself, including you and including me. Now that maybe hits us cold at first. And there's more. But like Charles was saying last week, we got to get this right first, that he is the God. He's the God above There's one last facet, and it's in the verb, it's in the original language, it doesn't come out so much in English, but there's like a causality. It could even be a nuance of, of God saying to Moses, I will make what I will make. And I think that hits on our fear. Does God make good things? Does God have good things for me? Okay, God, you've revealed yourself as unchangeable and consistent, but is that a good thing? In other words, can I trust you? So we're going to go on in just a minute, and we're going to read verse 15. And verse 15 is our key verse for the morning. It's the key verse of the text. It's where we'll learn about what God's name is. But I want to tell you an illustration first of the kind of namer, the kind of God that he is. This answer of, is he trustworthy with all of his power? So we have some acquaintances when we were in seminary. He was actually one of my preaching professors. And he and his wife, they were adopting two brothers who were about 10 and 12 years old. So it's quite difficult to place children when they're that age. And our acquaintances were adopting these two boys, two brothers. And the 12-year-old's name was Bubs. It was his given name. That was his real name, Bubs. And he didn't like his name. And when he was being adopted, he asked our acquaintances, can I have a new name? I don't like my name, Bubs. So the new mom and the new dad, they came up with a new name together with Bubs, and it was Isaiah. So then once his name was changed to Isaiah, Bubs decided that he didn't like his new name. I still want you to call me Bubs. My name can be Isaiah but I want you to call me Bubs. So if you slow down and think through, there is a lot to a name, and it tells our stories. And we take pride on the things we've been through. And we say, I don't really want my new name. I'll take my old name. Just call me Bubs. So fast forward a year. They're a family. They're going on a family vacation, and they're in the garage. And Andrew, the dad, he's loading the van, he says, Bubs, bring me your bike. I'm going to put it on the bike rack. And uh, Bubs says, call me Isaiah. Don't call me Bubs anymore. So names are, names are powerful. Bubs is stepping in and saying, this is my new name. Don't call me by my old name. So that's the kind of power that our God has. That's the kind of and pastors, you got to watch this. We'll make up words on you. This is not a made-up word, I promise. Omnibeneficence. Omnibeneficence. It means that God always 
is able and willing to do the good unto us. Okay, we're almost ready to read verse 15. So God tells Moses God's name, just like my name's Jeff, just like your name's whatever your name is. And if you'll look with me down in verse 15, God's name is Yahweh. Yahweh. That's the name that God tells Moses that God's name is. But you're not going to see it there in verse 15. About halfway through, you're going to see the word Lord. Right? And again, all caps. What's the deal? This is the English, this is this translation's rendering of the name Yahweh. And if you looked in your Bible in the pew, it would be the same thing. Chances are, if you brought a Bible with you this morning, it probably doesn't say Yahweh. So what gives? So that's a really, really, really old decision. Like before the days of Jesus, when the Old Testament was coming together, and the Jewish scribes and the priests, the Jewish people, they'd made this decision that they were no longer going to say the name Yahweh aloud out of reverence. So it was a worship decision. And I think it was a decision for better and worse. I think it was a good decision because it does speak out of reverence. It gets back to what I was talking about a minute ago, that God is who God is, and he is the God above. And most translations since have followed suit. But I think it's also for the worse because we think of it as a title. You think of it as a title. There's even a the there. But it's his name. It's his name. Yahweh. Now, I think nickname is an imperfect, it's an inadequate analogy. But it's workable. It's kind of like a name that you might say to someone, no, 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 you don't get to call me that. Only my family calls me that. It's like a term of endearment. I think it is similar when Jesus says in the New Testament that we can call upon our Heavenly Father with this Aramaic term of endearment. Do you know what I'm talking about? Abba. That this is a family name. This is a personal name. It's the name that God told his kids to call him. And now, as a mirror, these two questions, who is God, who am I, they play together. This is the first time in Scripture when God says, these are my people. These are my people. If you want to flip back to the offertory and read it right now while I'm preaching, go for it. It's the first time God is saying, my name is this and you are my people. And why does this matter? God is irrevocably swearing his name. Now we're ready to read verse 15. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. This is God locking his name onto a people. 
This is what Charles talked about last week. This is the God among. So in what the Bible calls a covenant, Yahweh is signing his name on the dotted line here beside the names of specific people, people who are representative of all of his people, people like Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, Rachel, Moses, Zipporah. The God is becoming their God. He's reminding Moses that Yahweh has already entered a human family and sworn himself to Abraham. And Yahweh is now invoking that promise. And he's saying, the God that I was to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob is the God that I will be to you, Moses, is the God that I will, catch this, is the God that I will be to future generations. That thanks be to God, our children or the next generation of the church, they don't need to figure God out all by themselves for the first time. But again, I think we need to ask, why does any of that matter? Well, first, let me say what it does not do. God giving us his personal name and irrevocably binding himself to us. It doesn't answer every question, does it? Namely, it's been 400 years between Abraham and Moses. Why did God wait so long? to lift his people up out of affliction. We have some clue about that and some things that God said to Abraham way back in Genesis. But eventually, we realize there is a deep, inescapable mystery with God. And so it gets back to his godness, his uniqueness. And yet he's now come so close You see, God relates to you in ways that you could never have imagined, but he is not like you. He's sworn himself to the salvation of his people, but he does not surrender himself to your specific expectations of when and what that will look like. For example, in our story, in our narrative, it goes on, Moses and the leaders of the people Together they go to Pharaoh, and they say, let my people go. And Pharaoh hardens and increases the labor, and he beats the leaders, physically, literally beats the leaders of the Israelites. And then they're quite frustrated with Moses. And eventually Moses, at the end of chapter 5, he says this, Lord, Yahweh, since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name... He's done evil to this people, and you've not delivered your people at all. So part of the meaning of God's name is that he does things in his ways and in his timings, according to the things that you and I don't, and even as mere men and women, cannot see. But he is with us. I want you to guess how many times God's name, Yahweh, is in the Old Testament. Go ahead and get a number going in your head. 
How many times does God, his personal, covenantal, family name, appear in the Old Testament? There's 39 books in the Old Testament. 300? 600? 6,000? 6,828. Yahweh locks his name onto the name of a human people. It might look like he leaves. It might feel like he leaves. It might feel like he left for a long time. But he does not leave. Although the God of Christian scripture is really, really, really mysterious, he is also most trustworthy. And although he is most trustworthy, he is most mysterious. So let's try to personalize that and then apply it. So to personalize it, he does not need you, but he wants you. He does not depend upon you, but he loves you. His work on earth does not rely on his church, but he loves to involve his church in his work on earth. He is not influenced by us, but he is committed, sworn to be steadfast and faithful. Now again, why does it matter? Why does any of this, where does it hit our life? It matters because God wants to change you. That in his unchanging love, he wants to change you with his love. He wants to cut away what's against him inside of you and inside of me. And he wants to expand or to grow the parts of our name that are for him. He says in this text, I am making a people. You are never alone in your salvation. God is making a people. Out of his Yahweh-ness, he is saying, you who were slaves under Pharaoh will now be my people. Some of you I know that are in the women's Bible studies are learning about this with Joshua, Moses' successor. That God will make you into a nation. This God who is communicating with Moses right now, he is the one who said to Abram, you'll no longer be known as Abram. You'll be called Abraham. You'll no longer be known, Jacob, as Jacob. You'll be called Israel. You will no longer be known as Bubs. You will go by Isaiah. Jesus. Simon, you'll no longer be called Simon. You'll be called Peter. Levi. People won't call you Levi anymore. They're going to call you Matthew. Moses, you're not going to be a shepherd in Midian. You're going to be a prophet in Egypt. So God wants to rename you. He is the name changer. And then he will always be commissioning you 
me to rename, to bring blessing into places that were cursed. He gave us the power to name and rename. I just have to say about our hometown that I think I can call it my hometown now. This place used to be called Naptown. If you remember, it doesn't really get called that much anymore. Or has anyone heard Indiana No Place? It doesn't get called that anymore. But we have the power from the one who has renamed us to step into places and change the way that things are. And I'm not being very specific. I'll leave that to the Holy Spirit and to you. So in the days of Moses, God named his people under these 12 tribes of Israel. And of course, in our day, Yahweh names his people under, as we sang earlier, every kindred, every nation on this terrestrial ball, this every nationed community of Jesus that we, we carry Jesus' name. That we are called Christians because of Christ. That there's none of you that are here on your own good name. There's not one of you that's here on your own good name. But we're here on the best name. That we're here with the name that's been given to us. Just like God told Moses in Deuteronomy, it's not for our strengths, it's not for some remnant of wisdom or beauty within us that God loves us. Yahweh loves us because he has decided to irrevocably set his covenantal love on us. The deeply flawed church of Jesus Christ, broken but beloved. So one last time, what's that matter to you, to me? I think if I asked you, how would you answer these questions? Who am I and who is God? How would you answer? I think some of you would say, if you were honest, I'm a Christian and I know that I need God, but I'm not so sure that I need him desperately. Take issue with that adverb. Well, then I would say step out of Midian and follow God into the thing that he's calling you to set down or to pick up. That thing, whatever it is, that you can't do without him. That you can't do without desperately finding how abundantly present he is 6,828 times. And then I think that some of you would say, uh, I know that I desperately need him. In fact, I know that all too well. And I just don't think I'm good enough or ready enough to be useful for God in the ways that he claims he can use me. And to you, I would just say, remember who you are. You are the one whom God loves. You are the one whom God is with. That together with 
all of the number of the people of God. God is remaking us in deep places. He is recasting us into his own image. And he is calling us as a people into his work. So in all of your layers of identity, remember what God says about you and remember, remember what God says about himself, that he has called you my people, that you are not alone in your salvation, that you belong to those numbered as God's people, and that God has called you into his own family and named you with his own name. Juliet was wrong. Names are important. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that you would continue to help us to grow into all of the name that you have for us.